Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Today for Song of the Soul, we're going to welcome Marge the Maven to share her music with us. Marge Eisenman's website is margethemaven.com, and she is a Jewish teacher and musician, as you'll soon learn. Marge does workshops on a variety of topics, including storytelling, hip spirituality, and comfort shawls. As you can probably tell, I have a cold today, so rather than risk exposing her health unnecessarily, singer-songwriter Marge Eisenman joins us today by phone from Milwaukee. Marge, thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. I'm delighted to be here. You are a musician, but you're also, I understand, a maven. Would you explain what a maven is? I would be delighted. The word maven is used colloquially in English It's from the Yiddish. Maven is an expert, someone who knows all about something. It turns out that the word maven comes from Hebrew, the root in Hebrew, lehevin, which means to understand. So really, a maven is somebody who understands something and can communicate it. I also have the title maven from one of the things that I train to do, which is called storytelling which is this fabulous blend of modern interpretation, dramatization, and translation, interlinear translation of our sacred text, which is the Torah. The first five books of Moses are read in the synagogue every week, and we intersperse our translation set in the frame of drama, and that's called being a storytelling maven. 
How do you get trained to do this? Well, there's a, the organization called Storytelling in New York did trainings. When I first heard about it, the first training was at Brandeis. I went out for five or six days at Brandeis University outside of Boston. I immersed myself in this methodology. And then I went the next summer out to Boulder and Denver, and we had another five-day training with a group that called themselves the Mile High Mavens. I'm one of the very few independent mavens not connected to a troop. I can do this on my own. I can do this with a partner. And you do it, Marge, incorporating music. Is music part of storytelling? For me, it is, because music is something that's very much a part of me. It isn't always. When I first encountered storytelling, it was a big part of the production. You know, like everything, it evolves. So when I first saw this, there was sort of an intermission with a everybody singing something. I can't remember. Some modern song. It kind of made me laugh. Like, I Shall Be Released, a, a Dylan song, I think. And that was something that made me think, well, there are ways to convey the meaning of our text that aren't antiquated. One of the things that we do is we do our own translations, which means we're really struggling to find how to make this the most modern language that we can. So, for example, when I was translating something about kings from Deuteronomy, it says, you may choose a king for yourself because you'll want to be like all the people around you, but you can't choose a king who has too many horses or too many wives because they'll basically bleed you dry and send you back to Egypt. Well, at the time, John McCain was running for president. And every time I heard the word too many horses, in my head, I kept hearing too many houses because it came out that he had like three or four different homes. I think the number was seven, actually. Or seven. It was, to me, an excessive number of residences. And so I was connecting this thousands-of-year-old document to something going on immediately in the political landscape of the time. So when did you start doing music, and do you have any of your early music to share? Absolutely. Well, I think I've always written song parodies, which I've actually done for storytelling. But when I started writing original music was for people that I cared about when I was given the opportunity to give them a gift. One of my earliest songs I wrote while I was hanging out in a hospital waiting room. And it's called We Are All Connected. And actually became the title of my first CD. And I first came up with the melody line because I was sitting in the clinic waiting room. I actually had a child who at five years old was diagnosed with leukemia. He's fine now, 21 years old, but it was a pretty scary moment and a lot of waiting in waiting rooms. And there was this little Fisher-Price, you know, xylophone kind of toy, and it was missing the F key. So I was playing, and it sounded like this. Bum, 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 bum. Obviously, it was from B down to C, but it didn't have an F key. So I came home and I was playing it on my piano. I couldn't find words and I thought, this is, I have no idea how I'm going to get this song out. It wasn't just like we say in Hebrew, we have a word, a nigan, or in Yiddish. It's a wordless melody. I knew there were words. 
And one day I was finally alone in my car, and the whole song came through, as you'll hear it right now. We are all one people. We are all God's children. We are all connected. That's the miracle. We live on one planet. We share everything. We are all connected. That's the miracle. If you are all alone or feeling low, we are all connected. Get up and go to well. They need your touch. Oh, don't be slow. We are all one people. We are all God's children. We are all connected. That's the miracle. Marge Eisenman, her song, We Are All Connected. The thought for that song, have you been raised, uh, have you always participated as part of a synagogue? Or I am one of those interesting people. I belong to the synagogue I grew up at. Fortunately, both of us have changed a lot. If I were asked right now, did I want to join the synagogue that I was a child at, I would say no. But we both move towards more Hebrew, more spirit, more joy, more participation. I am now at the point in my life and my leadership where I lead services in other communities. But I come back to my home congregation, which is Temple Sinai in Milwaukee. And what brand of Judaism is that? It's Reform Judaism. I do dwell a lot with the renewal Jews. I've gone to the biennial gatherings called the Kala a few times. I've studied under Reb Zalman Shachter Shalomi. I've really enjoyed a lot of the 
joyful quality of Jewish renewal that as it has an impact on all the other branches of Judaism. And then this last summer, I found out that I am distantly related to Reb Shlomo Karlbach, who is the granddaddy of Jewish music. He wrote, I think, 500 melodies. Good connections to have. Yeah, I was saying this is this is a good thing. It's in the it's in my genes. Obviously, in that song, I think you were playing piano, and I, you must obviously know how to play the xylophone too. <laughs> uh, what instruments are part of your repertoire? Well, I play piano, and now I play baritone ukulele, thanks to my wonderful friend Lil Rev, who is the ukulele master. And Rev said, you can't always have your son, Jana, or me to accompany you. You have to find a way. You need something to support. You can't just sing a cappella all the time either. You have to find something. And we decided that that would be my instrument. I just love it. It's quirky. It's fun. It's small. It fits in the overhead bin of every airplane I'm ever on. Well, give us some more of your music for your Song of the Soul. I think the next song we'd like, I would like to share with you is called Family Blessing. When I write music, I write because there's a need. And one of my friends, Diana Cohn, asked me if I would sing at her wedding. They said, you can sing whatever you want after the vows. And I looked through my wedding music, and Jerry had a then, I think, 12-year-old son. But I looked, and all the wedding music I had was, I am my beloved, my beloved is mine. And I kept hearing this kid in the background saying, what about me? And I went home and I wrote them this song, This Family Blessing. Blessings for your family, your joy we share today. Praises shall we offer you as we begin to pray. We pray for life, we pray for peace, for common sense and Sabbath is your time for love and play to increase. Blessings for your family, your respect will be the key.
Our guest today for Song of the Soul is Marge Eisenman, and that was her song, Family Blessing, off of her first CD. As opposed to your second CD, is there one in between? I only know of the two. I only have the two, but next week, I am so excited. I'm going back into the studio with now both of my twins. When I recorded Enduring One, which is my second CD, my son Jonathan was playing guitar already quite well and singing, and my son Jacob wanted nothing to do with this. We were all pretty traumatized when I recorded that when my middle son, Baki, had died only a few months earlier in his sleep, and it was a pretty sad time. I felt like everything was so out of my control. The one thing I knew I could do was sing. And so I gathered my musician friends and went in the studio and recorded, and Jana participated. And this time, Jacob has now learned to play bass, and he agreed to play with me and with his brother. And one of my former students, who is a fabulous percussionist, So I have this very young band of guys who are going to play with me, and they've decided that my music needs to have a little more funk. And I said, well, I know plenty of people who are in a spiritual funk. Let's see if we can get them out of it with our music. So that's where we're headed next week. Well, let's go on to some more of your music for your Song of the Soul. So where are we going next? We're going to sing praises, which is probably the song I've sung the most of my entire repertoire. It's a song I wrote for a bar mitzvah, and I wrote it on an airplane. I think I wrote it at 30,000 feet. I am stunned, even to this day, that I wrote it grammatically correct, the line that's in Hebrew. I didn't know. I knew this form of Hebrew grammar called smichut. It's a possessive, and I was actually correct when I got off the plane I checked with the bar mitzvah boy's father, who happens to be a rabbi, and he said, absolutely, perfect. And it's called Sing Praises. Sing this blessing song to God. Be in no time and space. Be in no 
song today. We'll sing this blessing song today. Our spirit energy. Our spirit energy. Spirals up and sets us free. There we are singing praises with Marge Eisenman. And obviously a pack of kids. Was this uh, the bar mitzvah group or what was this? I recruited a group of kids from Milwaukee Jewish Day School and some of my friends in the neighborhood. When I recorded this last CD, I was at the Miramar Theater. And one evening I invited people to come. They thought they were coming to watch. I made them sing along. I've got a number of blessings out of my connection with Judaism, and specifically Rabbi Marsha Prager. She's been my guest on this show as well. So I, I know what Shekinah is, and you want to explain it for the rest of the world? So that the last line that's in Hebrew says, Shiru Ladonai, Shirat HaShekinah. It means, let's all sing to God. Adonai is a masculine God name, and it really... When you do it in American Sign Language, you lift your hand up over your head and kind of wave towards out there, God. Shiru Ladonai, Shirat HaShekhinah, the song of the Shekhinah, which is a feminine name of God, and it means God's indwelling presence. How prevalent is the idea of this female component of God throughout the wider span of Judaism? Well, everybody knows the word Shekhinah, We have different texts that use it. How many people are actually conscious that there could be a feminine aspect of God? I I can't answer that more because many Jews don't even really talk about God, which is a sad commentary. There are a lot of Jews who feel that Christianity sort of co-opted a conversation and a language and took it out of our realm. We teach our kids how to pray, but we don't really have this bigger conversation about to whom the prayers are directed. And so when I wrote Sing Praises, there's something about it that makes people feel joyful. It just, it raises your spirit. And when I looked back, I realized that the young person I wrote it for, he himself suffered from depression. I never quite understood until I heard how happy people were singing this what impact it could have. It's wonderful to receive that kind of gift for his bar mitzvah. So you do a lot of presentations to people? Is it only at weddings and at bar mitzvahs that you get out there? Or when do you get out there and how do you share your gifts? Well, I do a lot of teaching in different communities. When my son Baki died in January of 2005, one of the first things that happened is about two weeks later, my women's spirituality group, my Rosh Chodesh Chavura, boy, if you can say that without spitting, you're doing well. My women's spirituality group came to my house and they made what they called a grief shawl for me. And they applicated it with symbols of themselves and of their love for me. And it was 
so warm and enveloping and just beautiful. I then started wearing it almost all the time. And eventually, as I started traveling again and going to conferences and being with people, and, you know, I, I teach on a national scene. I go all over the country, and I've gone to Scotland and England to teach as well. And I didn't give that up after my son died. In fact, uh, a few months after he left, I went to Israel, and I was a teacher of English as a second language. But I added in very soon leading a workshop creating these shawls. I call them comfort shawls. And at the end of every comfort shawl, I do sing to the people who are there this song that I wrote following my son's death, and it's called We're in Each Other's Lives. Take a good look around you and you will see the kind of person you'd like to be. Think of the times we laugh and the times we sigh. Our paths have crossed without ever knowing just why We're in each other's lives Now take a look behind you And you may feel The path you chose had such a peak Think of the loves you've lost And the friends not there Our deepest fear is that we're the ones who can't care We're in each other's lives From you to me, me to you Pulsing like heartbeats do Coursing through life every day Waves of thought, webs of love surround the world Supporting us in every Whatever happens to me is the perfect thing I write a song I need to sing Getting the words just right and the notes just so Each song has wings lifting up and then letting go
How True We're in Each Other's Lives by Marge Eisenman. And Marge, there's one line in there which I'm not sure that I, I got fully what you were saying. Our deepest fear is that we're the ones who can't care. What's that about? I encountered thousands of people in the time between my son's death and my writing this song. And I had visceral negative reactions to about two or three of them. And they were only people who came sort of at me more concerned about themselves than about me. Like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Where it then came to me to have to say to them, well, I can believe it. Or somebody was like, why didn't you call and tell me? Why did you, you know, it, it, there was something going on that I realized that there are people who are afraid that they can't care about other people that it will somehow destroy their defenses, that caring deeply about other people is in fact strengthening, not weakening. That's certainly how it works in my life. Well, that's how it works in my life. And one of the most interesting things I find is when people listen deeply to my lyrics, they bring things back to me that I didn't even know I put in there. Well, one thing that you put in there was kind of some heavy metal guitar interlude. <laughs> we decided it needed to sound like an 80s rock anthem. And I had another young friend, Jesse Guten, who played lead guitar there. And I just thought it was so much fun. I let him go. I'm glad you did. That's quite a gem in the middle there. It's really unexpected because the rest of the album is, you know, kind of sweet folk. There's a couple of things that are different. I only play piano on one song. The other piano was done by two amazing, talented, professional musicians. One is Fred Simon from Chicago, and then the other is Dan Dance, who's a Milwaukee musician. But I sat at the piano to play another song I'd written after Baki died, which was called Enduring One. And I want to explain the title. Baki is a nickname for my third son, the twins were three years old when I was pregnant, and I told them we needed a name for the baby that was neither male nor female and started with the letter B because we would name this baby for my mother, who was Barbara. And in Judaism, we often just name for the deceased relative. My mom died when the twins were two. So they made up this name, Baki. And then it turned out, in Hebrew, a Baki same name, just a little different accent, is an expert. An expert, like, deep knowing. When Baki died, Rabbi Cohn looked up the name Baki on Google and found out that Baki is one of the 99 beautiful names of God in the Quran, and it means enduring one. So this 12-year-old boy, who was just gorgeous, came into the world already named lived an astonishing life, died at that point a mysterious death. He was a hero, and he had a very powerful name. So I wrote this poem, and I sat down at the piano to play it, and I was going to sing it. I had a live microphone on when I recorded it, and I couldn't open my mouth. So what you're going to hear next is my soul on the piano.
That was Enduring One by Marge Eisenman. It's from her CD, Enduring One. You can find it via her website, margethemaven.com, and you'll also find information about bringing her to share her storytelling. You'll find about comfort shawls and other things on her website, margethemaven.com. And Marge the Maven with us here today for Song of the Soul. This is a Northern Spirit Radio production. Our website is northernspiritradio.org, and I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, Coming to you from the Chippewa Valley of Wisconsin. Please do visit our website, leave comments, find links to our guests, like that of Marge Eisman. So do visit the site, northernspiritradio.org. Marge is with us here today. She's actually down in Milwaukee. I'm up in Eau Claire. Thank you for sharing the song, Enduring One. The deep movement in it is plenty testament to the connection and your love for Baki. Can you share with us some more of your music for your Song of the Soul? Absolutely. So one of the things that I love to do is take a text that people know. It's sort of pre-storytelling. This is before I was trained. Again, it was for bat mitzvah, for the daughter of my dearest friends. I lived down the block from them, and we've shared everything. The daughter is named Ariana, and she took the Torah portion for her bat mitzvah called Kiddoshim, which means holiness, and she chose to read the part that said, love your neighbor as yourself. So she had a few more verses than that. But she's been my friend since she was two years old when we met, and she said to me when she was about three or four, if I could have two moms, you would be my other mom. Now she's a lovely sophomore in college, but when she was 13 years old, we've been friends for over a decade already. She and I, and her mother and I have been friends. So when I had an opportunity to write something for her for her bat mitzvah, I was thinking about what a gift it is to have friends in every generation. Because if you're an older person and you have no young friends, you just watch your friends die, and then you're alone. So... I was thinking about that, and I went down the block, and I was talking to Ari, and I asked her, well, what's important to you about friendship, and what's important to you about your Torah portion? And between us, we had this wonderful conversation, came up with some of these really beautiful gems about how age doesn't count. Then I wrote the song, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. Deep in the heart of the Torah There you'll find its core It says love your neighbor as yourself Look out for the orphan and the widow The stranger that you don't know Love your neighbor as yourself Don't curse the deaf Place a stumbling block before the blind. Show some respect. We're commanded to be kind. You don't have to like every person you meet, but don't you curse them. Love. 
your neighbor as yourself And if it is friendship that you're after Enjoy a dose of laughter Love your neighbor as yourself Friends perk you up Good friends let you vent Age doesn't count Friends like you are heaven sent Hillel turned it on its head This is what he What you don't like yourself It's not all about you Just think of someone Marge Eisenman, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. And Marge, I think a lot of people assume that that is a line that comes from Jesus, but he's actually quoting back, as you say, in the Torah, right there in the heart of the Torah. And you amplify it about what this means. It gets explicated in the Torah about what loving your neighbor and about the orphan and the widow and the stranger. I specifically like that we're not supposed to put a stumbling block before the blind. That's a pretty good line to keep in mind. What is a stumbling block? I don't even know. Well, it's interpreted differently. A stumbling block is if you saw a blind person coming and you would put something in front of them, they would fall over it. Now, in a business ethics way, it's also if you take unfair advantage of somebody, if you have information they don't have, you 
treat them as if they are the blind and you are the sighted. Likewise, if you curse the deaf, the deaf don't hear you, but it's wrong. These are actual lines from the Torah. They are just translated into English. But it would be errant to think that Jesus would not have known this primary text from Leviticus. Of course he would know it, and of course he would teach it. You mentioned, Marge, that you share your music, your teaching, your mavenness within Judaism, but you also share it outside. You lead services for other folks. And is there any hesitation about this? Is there people you it's good to connect with or not connect with? Is this enrich or detract from faith for you? I will say this. Last weekend, I was honored to go teach at the Unitarian Universalist First Church in, in Milwaukee. I had a wonderful evening. They were doing their Yule celebration. We sang Christmas carols and, you know, goofy songs, and I taught about Hanukkah. I have no issue with teaching about Judaism. People know I'm a Jew. That's fine. The one place I really contract around are the people that call themselves Messianic Jews or Jews for Jesus where I feel that they are actually dishonest. I don't mind if people are Christian, they're Christian, they're Jewish, they're Jewish. There is an unhealthy mix when people are using Judaism with sort of this subtext of we're doing it to lure you in so that we can convert you. I think it's a person's choice what religion they are beyond, you know, there are people who feel that they have a Jewish soul and then there's no choice. But that's the one place that I get really... I find myself very judgmental about it. I would not teach in that setting. But I would love it if people use my music in a wider sense. I think I write very universal messages. The other place I find my inspiration, it's not just, you know, well-known biblical text. Every reform rabbi who ever picks up my CD, you know, they scan the titles and they don't recognize them. Obviously, they probably see Love Your Neighbor and they think, yeah, they know what that one means. But there's a song on this CD called Trafficking with Cynics. It turns out that in the High Holy Day prayer book, we have an alphabet of sins. We collectively pound our chest as we say, Ashamnu, Bagadnu, you know, Gazalnu. We have done this wrong. We've done that wrong. We've cheated. We've stolen. And we do it collectively. We did this. We did that. We did this. There's a similar alphabet of sins that is in English. When you get to T, it says, we have trafficked with cynics. I have this funny mental image. What does that mean? So one day, I wrote a song about it. I read the list and pound my chest. Which sins really suit me best? Of all the wrongs I could commit, there's one that's just a perfect fit. Trafficking with cynics I've been trafficking with cynics They ask, is there a God? And is God there? Where is there? Everywhere I believe we have the right to choose How we want to live as Jews But thanking God for everything Sometimes gets a hollow ring when you've been trafficking with cynics. 
trafficking with cynics. They ask, is there a God and is God there? Where is there, I say, everywhere? Stand at the shore of the sea Gaze into the tallest tree Watch a baby being born Tell me how it's got you scorn I know my friends are not bad folks With all their jeers and all their jokes But I in my sincerity Pray that they may one day see I'm done trafficking with cynics No more trafficking with cynics I've been down and I still swear I find God anytime There's a gem for you, Trafficking with Cynics. Now, when I do that one live, I want to say that I always end it with a little get out of my car, you know, just sort of a a modern reference. You know, there are people I don't understand. I don't understand people who absolutely categorically deny the existence of God. I can understand challenging whether God cares about us, the anthropomorphizing of God. I get that. But the whole notion that there could be a universe with such detail and such beauty and such grandeur and such an amazing system where babies are born and they look a little bit like their parents, I don't know how you can say there's no God. And so I was really frustrated that cynics often get the last word, and I wanted to stop that. So I wrote about it. Part of the issue I have with cynics, cynics are actually a group from ancient Greece, and they would give speeches on most ridiculous, on flies or on anything else. They'd have tremendous oratory all about something kind of trivial and non-important. They didn't get to the key, the center of the matter, as you like to do with your music, Marge. I'm glad you see that. It's really, it's such a treat to have a chance to talk about my music with someone who listens deeply. Thank you so much. It's my privilege. And it's also my unfortunate privilege to say that we've got just a moment or two left here in the show. Can we have one more song? I want to share the song that I wrote for my sons, Jacob and Jana, for their bar mitzvah, B'nai mitzvah. When my grandmother died, I wrote her eulogy. And my son, Jana, was about to go off to camp, and he was going to miss the funeral. He was 11 years old. And I said, would you listen to me read it? I just want a little practice. And he said he would. And he listened to this eulogy, and he looked at me in all sincerity, and he said, I can tell that it came from your heart because it went into my heart. And I was 
absolutely, you know, tears in my eyes, blown away. What an amazing kid. When it came time to write a song for them, for their coming-of-age ceremony, I took that. I found out that unknowingly, Jonathan had quoted the Talmud, where it says, words that come from the heart enter the heart. And I wrote them a song that's as much my ethical will as I could put into words and music. We're going to send you out for today's Song of the Soul. Visit with Marge Eisenman. Her website is margethemaven.com. And her final song for today's Song of the Soul is Words from the Heart, Marge Eisenman. Thank you so much, Mark. It's really a pleasure. My eyes filling up with tears I think of all my hopes and fears What I want to say to Then let you go The shoreline for your ebb and flow My love is like your safety net Always there with no regrets Words that come from the heart Enter the heart Words that come from the Time to care. Shabbat guests learn to cook. Travel everywhere. Choose good friends and be a mensch. Celebrate each day. Be amazed at each new spring. Don't forget to play. Look at the here today They'll help you all along your way You do belong You have a role In making the broken whole Words that come from the heart Enter the heart Gotta know that words That come from the Which come from my Theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, 
track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can 